Good. So thank you so much, Christina. It's a pleasure to uh, collaborate together. And uh, welcome to this day exploring uh, skillful speech, including in difficult circumstances. And, and uh, I want to introduce myself a little bit further, and some of you were in here right at 10 when I did so briefly, and say a little bit more in addition to what uh, Christina mentioned. Uh, I have been practicing since I was in my kind of early 20s, and uh, really have pretty broad interests, have uh, been teaching retreats on wise speech or skillful speech for about uh, 14 years or so. It's been a, a strong interest since um, a good friend of mine, probably 30 years ago, told me, Donald, you don't use wise speech at all, do you? And I said, hmm. And, but then I, I had to agree. <laughs> and so it's been, it's been a, a special interest. And um, I've, I've been also quite interested in very traditional teaching. So I've had a chance to study with some of the great teachers of the 20th and 21st century, uh, spent time in Thailand, uh, studied with, uh, in the Buddhist tradition, with, particularly with Thai, uh, Burmese, and um, Tibetan, as well as Zen teachers. Uh, and especially have studied uh, in the Thai forest tradition, sort of Burmese traditions of insight practice, also concentration practice, and Tibetan traditions of Dzogchen and Mahamudra have, have also been quite interested and spent time uh, with other spiritual traditions. I lived for about four years in Kentucky where I would go um, regularly to the Abbey of Gethsemane where Thomas Merton was a monk and have uh, I still go there once a year to the monastery there and so I felt a connection with contemplative Christianity also with uh, uh, Jewish mysticism and Kabbalah um, and um, lived once in a Hasidic commune which was not orthodox more free form, and which was very interesting. And maybe lastly, um, have also really valued my time being brought into indigenous communities, uh, particularly Native American and uh, with Canadian friends, what they call First Nations. And so, and for a lot of years here, I co-taught the um, meditation and sweat lodge day longs with Fred Wapapa, a native elder. So broad interest in that way, really interested in what different traditions uh, contribute. And uh, as well, have had a, a strong interest in connecting inner practices with how we live our daily lives and what it looks like in this culture, you know, with all its advantages and disadvantages, right? And so I've been interested in the uh, connection of psychology and meditation. One of the areas I teach on a lot is called Transforming the Judgmental Mind. And I'm working on a book on that, and which, which integrates those areas quite a bit. And um, interested in how to make this practice alive in daily life. And speech practice is a really important aspect of that. I'll mention that in a little while. Uh, and uh, 
lastly, have for a long time, as I, was prob- I was an activist before I knew anything about meditation. You know, when I was probably starting from age 14, 15, and so forth. And um, have been interested for a long time in the intersection of inner work and uh, social service, social change work, social justice work. And uh, have been helping, I've helped to guide a number of training programs where we brought together people doing that. Uh, with Buddhist Peace Fellowship and here at Spirit Rock, we had a two-year program called the Path of Engagement with about 50 people. So that's been a long-term interest, very much a need right now for, you know, in, in many people's views. And so I, I do see um, speech practice as really connecting these different dimensions. Uh, it's really a fundamental practice. It's a fundamental way to have our practice be alive in daily life so that meditation isn't simply a matter of sitting on a cushion or a chair for 15 or 20 minutes. You know, when we actually can bring our practice to our speech and communication, including online and so forth, including electronic, all of a sudden we may have five to 10 hours of practice. Anyone here complain about not enough time for meditation? Anyone ever do that? <laughs> we t- you take speech practice and really take it, uh, as it were, seriously, all of a sudden, you can have practice a good part, if not most, of your day. Not easy, but that, that's a vision. That's what I'm really hoping for. You know, and we'll, we'll, we'll work with uh, ways to do that. Uh, ideally, we, we, this would be the beginning of like an eight-month program. <laughs> right? We could get support and check in, because it really takes the continuity of the focus to really internalize it. Uh, and I think, I think that uh, developing more skillful speech is really crucial to our world, right? I mean, you look around at all the unskillful speech, you know, coming from uh, all parts, you know, the world, the federal government, uh, you know, just... And when one's not skillful in speech and conflicts arise, suffering arises, right? And so, you know, I think here the focus will be on developing skillful speech more in an interpersonal setting. But it really, and I'll I'll mention from time to time how it can be brought in to uh, groups, organizations, and the wider world, you know, and... um, you know, I have a book which is out on the table called The Engaged Spiritual Life, which is like, I, I saw it as a training manual for people bringing uh, mindfulness and inner practice into the world in various ways. And there are a few chapters on speech practice there with stories of people bringing skillful speech into service and action. So I'll, I'll bring that in from, from time to time. I've organized the day really into uh, four parts. Uh, Two parts before lunch. We'll have uh, sort of an orienting session here uh, and and, and we'll continually also do practices together in in all the sessions. There'll be a combination of some orienting talks, typically fairly brief, with uh, uh, 
discussion and, and practices that you can take home. And so first session is orienting, then there'll be about a 15, 20 minute walking period. That'd be time you can use the bathroom, but of course if you have need, just go use the bathrooms at any time, but just to know there'll be a structured period, uh, you know, probably about 11.30, uh, about an hour from now. And uh, the second, in, in the morning, we'll focus on foundational capacities for skillful speech. The, in this session, I'll give a, a guidance on the main way that the Buddha taught on skillful speech, was pri- which is primarily through working with ethical guidelines, or what we could call ethical guidelines. Uh, sort of uh, guidelines, we might even use them in groups or organizations, agreements that we can work with that help one as an individual or as a family or as a community or a, a group organization to be more skillful. I'll focus on that and we'll do some practices related to that. In this first session, walking period, second session will be about how to bring a sense of presence and mindfulness into our speech at the same time that we're speaking. This is harder, but this is very fundamental. And what we'll see is that actually, I mean, those of you who know Buddhist teachings some, know that there's the fundamental teaching of the path of practice called the Noble Eightfold Path. Interestingly, wise speech, or what's sometimes called right speech, is one of the eight factors. You may think of Buddha and all the practitioners doing silent practice, meditating, but they one of their eight fundamental practices or fundamental guidelines was about speech. And the key is actually, that, as, you, as we'll see, that our speech practice gets connected to all the other dimensions of practice. You'll actually see, I think, that you know the fundamental... Um, nature of our speech practice is to work with what's happening with our mind, emotions, and body in the middle of speech. <laughs> and so the, you'll see that the actual speech practices and guidelines have to be very integrated with mindfulness, with how to be with difficult emotions, what do we do when we get triggered, and so forth, right? And so speech is in, uh, very closely integrated with all the other aspects of practice. We can have really good speech technique and if it's not integrated with uh, mindfulness, with a caring heart, with a sense of connection with others, it's not going to go too far. And it's not about technique. You know, it's about really integrating these different dimensions. And so that's why it's, it's long-term practice, right? We'll give some, I'll give some orientation, some core practices, some core understandings that you can take home, but we have to then put them into practice over time. And I'll, um, I am going to be organizing some follow-up sessions, probably starting late August and going through early October. And I'll give us a sheet out there to sign up to be notified about that because my colleague Oren Sofer and I are doing a six-day non-residential retreat in Berkeley, uh, August 20th to 25th, which will go quite a bit further than we can today. And we're going to do some follow-up after that. And so I want to, um, I'll have a sheet out there that you can 
uh, sign for to be notified of that. Because it's really the long-term integration is really what this is about. So then we'll have lunch. Uh, I think about 12.45 if I stay on, on track. And we'll have a full hour. And my sense for the uh, lunch, what I'm going to suggest, and you can see what works for you, but is to have about the first 15 minutes of lunch silent. And then, guess what? And try out what you've been learning <laughs> with other people here. You can have the last 45 minutes of a, a skillful speech laboratory, right? So, and then we'll come back about 1.45. We'll see how the energy is. May do a little bit of movement practice. Uh, but then in the, uh, the whole afternoon, the focus is going to be on how do we bring our foundational capacities for skillful speech into challenging or difficult situations. So first half of the day, foundations. Second half of the day, continuing to develop the foundations. But how do we bring these into situations where we are um, triggered, having difficult emotions, having conflicts? And of course, that's a big topic, right? uh, I recognize a few people here came, I did two days in May on how to be skillful with conflict, which is very closely related to this day. And there's a lot we could could say there. Uh, But how do we do that? How do we start to be skillful? So I'll introduce again both some perspectives and some practices and some chances to reflect on your own uh, conflicts and how best to uh, develop skillful speech. You know, one of the practices that we'll do at some length in the last part of the afternoon is uh, developing is the practice of developing empathy, which is a really crucial speech practice, which goes a very, very long way. And it's not easy, but it's something that you could do, that we can do in all of our interactions, really be cultivating empathy, which uh, helps to... Uh, Helps in many ways, but it's it's not easy practice. Okay, so that's we'll. So again, we'll in the the afternoon we'll have uh, we'll probably go about an hour and a quarter or so uh, right after lunch. That'll be the third session, bringing in skillful speech with difficulties, and then uh, again probably 15, 20 minute walking period, and then our final session. The final session will be that's when we'll focus on empathy and some applications to our own conflicts. And uh, that'll bring us up to about five o'clock, right? And so that's the day. I'm, I'm offering what I think to be the, the gems of what we, at the retreat, we have 30 hours of material. We're giving you the essence of that, right? Okay, and so uh, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a great area, right? And so maybe just a few other things to say about the day. Let me see what I have here in my notes. Um, just a few guidelines. One is uh, I'm recording this first session, uh, and I'll put it on Dharma Seed. It'll be available. This is the orienting session. And I'll be doing some recording, but it'll just be for my own purposes. So basically uh, what I want to ask for is uh, 
when you will have sometimes when we're in dyads, just to take just to take what's said here with confidentiality. People will sometimes be sharing things that may be painful, and just to have it stay here unless you have permission. Right? I think most of you probably work with confidentiality at times, so I think if you have questions, you can can come up. Um, let's see. Yeah, and then just to generally, even before we go into detail on empathy, that sense of empathy and compassion, because we'll be hearing stories at times that, again, are uh, painful, that involve some suffering, some hurt, and so forth. So just to know that this is a, this is a, an area, you know, skillful speech or speech in general is an area where a few words can trigger a lot of pain or can lead, a few words can lead to the end of relationships, right? And a few words can also be very healing at times. So it's a very powerful uh, medium, as it were. Okay. Um, So I'm going to, in a moment, give you know, speak about the, what we get from the Buddhist tradition, especially the ethical guidelines. But before that, I wanted to hear just a few of your uh, intentions. Remember I asked uh, if there could be, if you could uh, formulate your intention in one sentence. And if you could stay with that one sentence, it would give us a chance to hear from a number of people. So again, we have the mics and if you could raise your hand, we'll bring the mics to you. Anyone want to share your one sentence intention? Yeah, we have, yeah. Okay. I'll try to track. We have some here. We have one in the back on my right. Yeah, please. Hi yeah. there. Uh, my name is Maggie. Um, I would say my sentence is learning how to enact calm, calmness in my body. Mm-hmm. and um, facilitate kind speech during charged, emotional, difficult moments. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah. How many can relate to that one? Okay, thank you. I want to commit to my words supporting and empowering others. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, and using skillful speech as a tool. Yeah, yeah. And how many can how many can connect to that one? Helping use helping others. Yeah, great. Well, this is a kind of like the first one, but um, I would like to cultivate the space between a feeling and an action, including yeah. speech, um, which Aldous Huxley defines as civilization. Yeah. Cultivate the space between feeling and action or emotion and action. Yeah. Defined as civilization. And anyone? Yeah. Okay. I think, I don't know if I'll keep on asking for that because we have a good, okay. Please. Um, I, uh, my intention for today. A little closer to your mouth. Yeah. My intention, my intention for today is to work on my tone of voice mm-hmm. and 
change that kind of hostile uh, first intention and uh, first uh, action that comes to my mind. Yeah, great. I just attack. So yeah. I just want to. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, that, uh, that's nice. It really brings out the way that it's actually not just the words, but the tone and more basically what's behind it, right? Right, and that uh, we know very well that we can have the right words and the wrong heart, <laughs> right? Which is, uh, that's why uh, just following certain techniques only goes so far. Right, thank you. We have one up front here. And, yeah. That was the last minute. Um, I'm going to jump on what you just said. A little closer, please. I want to jump on what, what you just said. My heart is definitely not in the right place when I speak. Hmm. Um, so my intention that I set was to see, honestly see my judgments hmm. that keep me from connecting. Yeah, thank you. You can see how this is really we you know we can practice, but this is long term work. Yeah. Yeah. Anyone who thought that we'd resolve everything today, well, maybe you can ask for your registration feedback. I, don't know. <laughs> okay. I would like to learn to communicate as effectively in my toxic work environment as yeah. I do in my personal life. Well. Wow. Yeah, so that's how to communicate skillfully in a work environment described as toxic. So how to be skillful in a diff- very difficult work environment, right? Wow. Well, yeah, thank you. Thank you. Hello. I'm hoping to transform the mental model of truth hurts to truth transforms. Mm. Yeah, thank you. One or two more? Anyone else want to share? Okay. Up front. I want to learn to communicate so that I can find my tribe. Yeah. Yeah, great. Might be the tribe of good communicators. (laughs) Whatever, yeah. Good. Uh, How many could relate to several or more of these intentions? Yeah, great. So they're they're very, very much shared. So again, uh, speech practice is so crucial. Um, we could see in the intentions the many ways that it's both important and not something that we necessarily learned. How many people learned in schooling, including high school and college or whatever, if you, if you went to college, how many learned skillful speech? I, I see a few hands. Yeah, 
uh, ident. Yeah. Um, and so it's this very fundamental area. And again, so easily uh, we can get caught if we're reactive or triggered, we can get caught in unskillful speech. There's a New Yorker cartoon which uh, brings this out, which shows a uh, woman sitting on a couch. In front of her is what looks to be like a detective writing notes down. Uh, Behind her, there seems to be a body on the floor with the legs sticking up. And there's also a police officer behind the couch. And uh, the caption of the cartoon is... um, I misspoke, or no, he misspoke, I misheard, shots rang out. <laughs> and uh, anyone relate to that? <laughs> things, happen, things happen very quickly. Um, and even, you know, I've certainly seen, even in spiritual communities, including Spirit Rock, when there hasn't been training in skillful speech, there's often been unskillful speech and suffering. And that's occurred in a lot of Buddhist communities as well. And so, you know, I I know that uh, probably 10 or more years ago, the communities connected with uh, the Thai forest tradition, mostly monasteries, uh, found that their level of skillful speech wasn't developed very much, and they actually found a need to bring in the discipline of nonviolent communication and give a special focus on speech. So it's something that we can't take it for granted, even if we are meditators or good people or whatever. That we, you know, I think you know, what I have found certainly is that in all the areas of our life, we actually need to bring both uh, conscious intention and clear orientation and skillful practices. You know, whether that the meditation and mindfulness by itself doesn't necessarily transfer into a lot of these other parts of our lives. It would be nice if it did. And it, it goes a certain way, but we need to really focus in this way. And so again, in the, in the traditional teachings, uh, speech practice was seen as, in the, in the teaching of the Noble Eightfold Path, as one of the fundamental eight areas of training and linked with all the others. And, and some of you may know that uh, there's an adjective right before each area. It's usually translated as right, you know, right speech or right mindfulness. And some people use other language to make it feel a little bit less tight, but you know, here we sometimes talk about wise speech, but what the main criterion for something being wise is that the training in one area is related to the training in the other areas. So as I said earlier, the training in wise speech is really inseparable from training in mindfulness. Like, like your comment about the gap between feeling or emotion and action, Right? Without mindfulness, we don't know what's happening and we just, we're just on automatic. And so uh, I'm really presenting the speech practice in this larger context of how do we awaken? 
How do we, you know, another way to say it, how do we develop wisdom, love, compassion, and skillful action in all the parts of our lives? That is no more, no less what the larger intention is. And how does speech practice fit in that way? Traditionally, the model of speech practice was, was sort of unpacked in a number of different ways. The main way that it was developed was through talking about four guidelines for skillful speech. And the Buddha enjoined people uh, to developing these four guidelines. I've sort of reconstructed these as guidelines to number one, be truthful in one's speech. Number two, be helpful in one's speech. Number three, come out of a kind heart with one's speech. And number four, have one's speech be appropriate in terms of the context, which especially means good timing. And what's important about these criteria is they all have to be operative together. You can have three of them really in great shape. You can have the first three in great shape. You can have be incredibly truthful, come from a kind heart, be really, really helpful. And if you have bad timing, it's a mess. <laughs> Sorry to say that, but that's, that's, that's how it is in many ways. And so uh, all four of them have to be together. And of course, there are all sorts of subtleties to all four of them, you know? So what does it mean to be truthful? What does it mean to be helpful? What does it mean to have a kind heart? It doesn't mean that one's nicey-nice, for example, or that one's a pushover, or that you just, that you don't speak up forcefully, right? At times, you know, you read the texts of the Buddha, he's often being very direct in a way that we would find almost confrontative with people, right? And that, but that, and that's, that's harder to have that kind heart when you're saying something difficult, but that goes, that's part of this, right? So this is, is not just about uh, being passive, having nicey-nice speech. There's a certain stereotype, isn't there, of a Buddhist as being like that, right? Or a Western Buddhist, we might say. You know, but that's, that's, not, that's not mature, right? And so let me talk a little bit about these four guidelines and then uh, see if there's any que- question, see if there are any questions about this initial teaching or anything that I've said, and then we'll do an exercise together. Okay, and we'll get we'll get going with the exercise. This is from the Buddha. So this is from 2,600 years ago. Abandoning false speech, one's aban- one abstains from false speech. So you can listen. That's the truthfulness criterion. One speaks truth, adheres to truth, is trustworthy and reliable. One who is no deceiver of the world. Abandoning malicious speech, one abstains from malicious speech. So here it's expressed a little more negatively. This is what I'm calling being helpful. So all of these can be expressed negatively or positively. One abstains from malicious speech. One does not repeat elsewhere what one has heard here in order to divide those people from these nor does one repeat to these people what was heard elsewhere in order to divide these people from those. 
One is someone who reunites those who are divided. One is a promoter of friendships, enjoys concord, rejoices in concord, delights in concord, speaker of words that promote concord, abandoning harsh speech. One abstains from harsh speech. One speaks such words as are gentle, pleasing to the ear, lovable as go to the heart, or courteous, desired by many and agreeable to many. One speaks at the right time, speaks what is fact, speaks what is good. Speaks such words as are worth recording. So, (laughs) okay, so, so, Truthfulness is sometimes seen to be the most fundamental of these. In some later teachings, it's said that if you get a really rough situation and you have to choose between all of these four, best to be truthful. But it's a, it's a very fundamental uh, guideline. Uh, to And as we explore it in ourselves, it's, it's a guideline that we can work with and it's used, I think, in two main ways. All of these guidelines are used in two ways. They're both behavioral guidelines. We can try to have them help us with our behavior. And they're also really um, pointers to mindfulness. And so we can really have the aspiration to be truthful. We can go into a difficult conversation saying... I want to be truthful, helpful, come from a good heart, and have good timing. You know, and I, one person I worked with, she, uh, when she was having difficult conversations with her teenage daughter, she would write these four guidelines in her hand and be looking at them, you know, as she was working and talking to her daughter. She wanted the, you know, it doesn't mean you use them perfectly, but it helps, right? Or I. Um, I, I once taught for uh, some years in a graduate school and uh, our communication wasn't always great. And uh, I was part of a committee. We developed a committee. You know, we, we had a committee and we tried to develop guidelines for skillful speech. And, and I told them these four guidelines, the committee, and they, they really liked them. And, uh, you know, and so they got me at all future meetings that we had they had me get up for five minutes at the beginning of the meeting. I had a little marker board. I write down these f- four guidelines, talk about them, and they were staring at people for the whole meeting, right? And so we would have uh, some of the people who were widely regarded as the least skillful speakers uh, would sometimes look at that and say, I'm not sure if this is following the guidelines, but I think it actually it moderated their behavior, right? And so the guidelines are there to guide our behavior. I, I would, when I was, I once worked with a group where we worked with these guidelines for six months together, right? A meeting about every uh, two weeks. And uh, at that time, I put the guidelines on my wall uh, near my phone. I would get a telephone call and, try, and uh, I would let it ring for a few seconds and I would look at the guidelines. I would say, truthful, helpful, good heart, good timing, hello, <laughs> right? And so you can, use, you can use the guidelines like that. You can, you, you can uh, really have them guide your behavior. It doesn't guarantee anything, but it helps. And then the, the second larger aspect for the guidelines is that they can really help one with mindfulness. You can notice I'm not being truthful. You know, I'm 
exaggerating something, right, about myself, right? Someone asked me, you know, how did it go? And I'm not honest, or, you know, and, and I can use the guideline. The guideline can, can uh, lead me to say, okay, Donald, what's going on here? What's going on, you know? So we can look into in terms of being truthful when we might exaggerate, say something for self-image and so forth. You know, like I know when I was a teenager, I thought I had big feet. And so people would ask, you know, I don't know, this didn't happen much beyond teenage years, but, um, <clears throat> you know, people, when I had a, got a new pair of shoes, people would ask me, what size shoe is it? And I noticed I always exaggerated it downward, right? Or, and, you know, we do that, right? We just, we customarily maybe say things a little bit altered for the sake of self-image or presentation. And so the guideline helps here. It's more mindfulness. It's not so much, oh, I'm exaggerating and being judgmental, you know? And so we have, want to watch out for that. But we can use the guidelines to really... Um, if we work with them, and one thing you might want to do, even the week or two weeks after today, a beginning practice would be take these guidelines or even one or two of the guidelines and put them on your refrigerator or whatever and uh, say, I'm going to work with these. Meaning, uh, when I'm not truthful, let me just say, okay, what's happening? You know, What's going on? Or if I'm not helpful, or if I'm not with a good heart. And, and so part of this, just to examine it, we can also reflect. You know, One thing that I found, for example, when I was working with the, the guidelines over six months was that I, you know, we also noticed we're better with some of the guidelines than with others. So I noticed I was pretty good with being truthful and being helpful, but I, I didn't always come from a good heart. Not necessarily a bad heart, but sometimes, particularly like when I was talking on the phone or doing something, I wanted to be efficient. I noticed that. I wanted to be efficient. When I was wanting to be efficient, I was like, okay, let's get this done, <laughs> right? And I, and I noticed, it was interesting, I wouldn't have known this before. Yeah, I was truthful, I was helpful, but the sense of efficiency, a lot of things to do, it made it harder for my heart to be there. And I noticed that from the way using the guidelines and letting them sort of trigger mindfulness, what's going on, right? So that's a, those are two ways we can work with the guidelines. So again, with being, when we look to truthfulness, we may not so much tell outright lies, but how often do we exaggerate, tell half-truths, have omissions? And this is something we look at, right? This is what working with the guideline looks like. Again, we can then go inside and say, what's there for me? You know, what's, what, where is this coming from? Why am, I, why am I doing this? You know, is it to gain some perceived advantage, to look a certain way, to avoid something? Is it is just an unconscious pattern? You know, I see, oh, I do it just like my mom did, right? You know, it might be that. It might be a family pattern or a cultural pattern, right? And of course, uh, we, we would look at uh, truthfulness and we could see, you know, why, why is lying a problem? Of course, when there's lying, uh, trust goes away, right? You know, and, you know, it's, 
It's a problem interpersonally. It's a problem. It's a problem uh, when governments lie, right? Which they do regularly, you know. Uh, and it's not not just the current administration, but it's goes been going on for a long time, right? And when I was uh, I found, I found an interesting story because one thing to see is there's social dimension for all of these guidelines, right? You know, that we can look to do a, you know, maybe we were talking about toxic culture. Is there lying or a lack of heart or a lack of helpfulness in my organization, in my family? We can work with this. That's why it could be valuable for, you know, one of the ways we apply this to organizations is we can have guidelines and even trainings for organizations on skillful speech. Now, I w- you know, I would like to see the time when this was part of what's considered standard, right? It could be, could be amazing. And so one example I found um, uh, when I was uh, working on the book, I, I did some research on lack of skillful speech among governments, which of course is very common. I remember there was a French philosopher named Merleau-Ponty. He once said, uh, when governments go beyond their own boundaries, truth goes out the window. (laughs) It can happen also when they don't go beyond their own boundaries. And so uh, I found a story. Uh, This was uh, a... um, There was a lawsuit brought by uh, a lawyer, a woman named Jennifer Harbury. Some of you may remember this story. She, uh, her husband uh, was uh, Guatemalan and had been um, basically murdered by the Guatemalan military in, in cooperation with the CIA. Um, and she brought a case before the Supreme Court or that went to the Supreme Court asking for truthfulness from the government about what happened. She wanted to know the full story. And the, um, uh, the Solicitor General of the United States testified before the U.S. Supreme Court. He said that, he, this is a quote, he warned, uh, know, this is from a story, he warned the court to use utmost caution before interpreting the Constitution as guaranteeing citizens a truthful response to inquiries of the government. Whoa. (laughs) And um, he won. Supreme Court went along with that. Uh, The Supreme Court said that individuals could not sue government officials for lying. That's, that's, that's shocking, right? Huh? What year? It was about, it was, I think, around uh, 2002. Yeah, it was, it was from, uh, you know, following what happened in the, uh, uh, in Central America. Yeah. And so the second is helpfulness. It's the guideline, you know, is what I'm saying helpful or is it harmful, right? And again, Fairly straightforward, but again, we can look uh, at when we're not being helpful or when there's some maybe negativity coming out and we can ask what's going on. So you can see that the guidelines are very much uh, a a companion of our mindfulness practice, that we want to be able to look carefully. It's not just 
follow the guidelines, but look at what's going on in the mind, body, and heart when I'm not aligned with the guidelines. So it can be very, very fundamental. Um, in terms of having the speech come out of kindness and compassion as much as possible, again, doesn't mean that we are being nicey-nice or that we avoid situations. Of course, it's more challenging to come out of a good heart when we're saying something difficult or when we're in a conflict. I think of that as advanced practice, but it is part of this guideline. So the guideline goes hand in hand with trying to still be in one's heart when there's a conflict, difficult situation, and so forth. And maybe we train for that by bringing the kindness and so forth into less challenging situations. When we have the kindness, the empathy, the compassion more standardly. And, you know, it's interesting. I was remembering a story from that my mom told me um, when we were talking about skillful speech. She, you know, we, we talked about the third guideline being coming from the heart. And immediately she, what came to mind was something that happened 10 years earlier when she heard a talk by uh, a man named Robert Lifton was actually one of my teachers in college who was a psychiatrist who did some really amazing work uh, uh, on war crimes and on, uh, he, did, he did research on what happened uh, in uh, the dropping of the atomic bombs and so forth. Uh, I think he coined the phrase psychic numbing. Anyway, he was giving a talk that my mom went to and what she most remembered, this was 10 years later, was that someone asked a question and clearly didn't understand the talk. And there was a kind of a collective groan. And people were expecting Robert Lifton just to say, I didn't say that at all. I think you got me wrong. And he met this person really empathically and compassionately. So, oh, I really see how you could see that. And he really connected with the person. And then, you know, eventually, you know, um, said what he had said, but there were that she remembered that moment of kindness in a challenging situation ten years later, even though it had taken one minute to occur right and so really, really crucial and then this last guideline is that of of timing you know I, I imagine the Buddha walking around saying to everyone how 's your timing is your timing okay that was your timing so again very very, very crucial. Uh, and he also was pointing to ways that our speech may not be so appropriate. That, that's part of the last criterion. That it's not so appropriate where we may be just going into distracted thought that is reactive, negative speaking, whatever. We want to look out for that. So um, a skillful speaker may speak less. Okay, so I think that's, that's uh, enough to say. I gave, I gave some sense of how to work with the guidelines, right? To, you can, in any given moment, you know, say with this conversation, I really want to stress coming from the heart. Or in this conversation, I really want to try to be truthful. You may work with multiple ones, but in developing them and training them, maybe work with one at a time. We worked in that six-month uh, group, we worked with a guideline for a whole month and then went on to another one. So you can do it like that. You can have the guidelines uh, in written form. Sometimes I'd be at meetings, put the guidelines on a sheet of paper and see them before my face as I was at the meeting. 
right? So all sorts of ways. So let me just see, take uh, a few moments if there are any questions of clarification especially or anything about the guidelines. Uh, I'll try to be brief here because I want to get to the exercise. So I'll just take a few. We have one to my right and two in the center area. Yeah. My idea of what's helpful and the person I'm talking to's idea about what's helpful may be different. How do I sort that out? Yeah. Um, we may have differing views of what's helpful. So um, really two, maybe two initial responses. And we'll, we'll look at that. Um, here, remember, we want to we get the fundamentals down. And we'll look at some of the com- more of the detail and the complications in the afternoon. But uh, basically, initially at least, you can really develop this practice without so much wondering about what other people are thinking. Now, in a difficult situation, it's really good to see if you can be aligned, right? And so if, if, uh, if two people are trying to deal with, uh, you know, I don't know, conflict at work about how to do something, and, and, or even you decide that what's helpful in the conversation might be different. One person says, I want to really look at what happened at that last meeting. And the other person says, I don't want to go there at all, <laughs> right? Or something like that. Um, then you want to have, uh, then you see if you want to, uh, how do you talk about that, right? Uh, and you try to see if you can agree on something, see if you can have agreement on what's helpful even to, to get to what, what else you need to talk about. So it's interesting though, right? So, okay, but let's, let's try to have a, not go immediately to the, the most difficult ones. <laughs> okay, so please. Thank you for this. Um, I, I'm wondering a little bit about spiritual bypassing. Yeah. How we can jump into with this. Uh, I, I imagine that part of the difficulty that we have with wise speech is what we are defended against, where we weren't seen as children. Yeah. Our hurts are, where our, our pain is. Can you just say a few words about how we can address that as we are practicing this, maybe even just noticing what comes up for us? Yeah probably also an afternoon theme, um, but uh, it's natural for it to come up. Yeah, I mean, a lot of, I mean, that's, that's where, uh, in part, uh, the speech practice doesn't stand on its own. It's connected with all the other dimensions of our practice. Uh, and that might also relate to your, your, your question as well. Uh, so it's related to all the other areas. So all of us have residues from the past from childhood or from social conditioning, all of us have, you know, not or, but and, right? That we all have material from that that's often quite challenging, difficult, and often very unconscious, right? And so uh, part of, part of uh, as we go deeper with our speech practice, we'll notice that certain things influence, you know, uh, our speech, right? And so we want to find ways to work with those uh, aspects of deep conditioning. Uh, you know, and there are a lot of different ways to work with that. But yeah, not to... I mean, we also can't do everything at once. So we can work with the speech practice and we might notice, oh, you know, um, gosh, I really uh, get triggered when this happens. You know, I notice my speech. I get really triggered and reactive in my speech. 
when, when we kind of are mindful for a month of my speech, oh, and we, we might have a sense, or we might not, we might have a sense, oh, that's related to something from my childhood. Like, for example, I notice when I look at my speech, or when I've looked, when I looked at it, that when I thought that someone wasn't listening to me, wasn't hearing me, that would particularly trigger me. And it's probably very common, right? And I, can connect, I could connect that with something when, from when I was younger, right? And so, so it becomes something that we may, you know, look at on its own at certain times. So it's like the speech practice by itself doesn't take care of everything. Yeah, does that get at it some? Yeah, thanks. Yeah. Part of my speech practice is getting more comfortable speaking up in groups. <laughs> yeah. Now, um, I have a question just to clarify about uh, being truthful. Yeah. Um, are we defining it as uh, simply not speaking falsities? Or are we also considering kind of the dimension of being able to um, speak to speak to the hard thing that's beneficial to say? Or yeah. in a case yeah. of harm? Or yeah, yeah. You know, and actually, the Buddha didn't give a 100-page... Uh, uh, treatise. He didn't actually he didn't do treatises. <laughs> he didn't. He didn't get a lot of this is not real worked out, right? And so it's really up to us to explore. Um, there's not a lot of detail on on um, situations when about being truthful. Later tradition tried to work some of this out. So we actually have passages in Mahayana texts, like a thousand years later where they say in these situations um, you can uh, not be truthful in very extreme situations in order to help others, right? So there sometimes seem to be exceptions. Uh, Those are only, in in that text, that's only something for what are called high-level bodhisattvas. (laughs) The Dalai Lama once was talked about that text. He said, you know, I'm not at that level yet. So... Yeah, but but yeah. So the basic thing is to really keep on inquiring. I think uh, that a lot of this they're not you know it's not like all sorts of worked out. You know, some other traditions actually have that. I mean, they try to clarify the ethics of truth telling. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Hi. Quick one. Yeah, I don't know if it's about getting a balance, but you mentioned the one about being compassionate and comp- kind and efficient. Yeah. And I have. And what was the last one? compassionate, kind, but also being efficient. Efficient, yeah. Because at work, we meet once a month, and we yeah. have an agenda of like six, seven items, and we're like halfway through the meeting, and we're still discussing, not the, they're still discussing item number one, because everyone has to express their opinion. Yeah. And typically, my part of the agenda is number six. Yeah. So I'm trying to push them forward, and I feel like I'm just not being kind and compassionate, and I get the, the feeling from the vibe from the meeting in the group yeah. That they kind of sense me being pushy. But yeah. it happens every month. Yeah, yeah. I never complete the agenda. How many, how many can relate to that issue in, either in an organization or maybe with one person? Yeah. <laughs> okay, so. so. I don't know if it's about finding the balance or maybe just say let it go. I think so. You don't have to finish it. I think so, yeah. I mean, first of all, um, we could relate to it. You know, if our. Uh, if our organization were following the four guidelines, we could interpret what you're describing as a question of how do we balance the four guidelines. We could interpret uh, efficiency as related to timeliness, right? 
is it timely if we process something? We have an hour meeting and we and eight items and we spend the first 40 minutes on item one. Is that is that good timing, right? So we could bring it up in that context. I think mostly it would be to have a discussion in your organization about the very issue. Process how long we're going to process, which is dangerous, but... <laughs> But that's why a lot of skillful organizations do have time limits on items for the sake of you know, trying to balance both enough time and being efficient. So uh, that's one way some groups work with it. And again, then there are individual preferences sometimes for more or less processing, right? Some people are processors and some are more interested in efficiency. Right, so it's, it's challenge, it can be a challenge, right? But um, it's, it's interesting. Uh, you know, I've, I've been in organizations where that's come up. And uh, um, if the processing is skillful, sometimes it leads to a lot of efficiency. But where it just goes on and on, it doesn't. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Maybe uh, one more, and then we'll, we'll do the exercise. Hi, my name is Melinda. I'm um, frequently nowadays uh, struggling with how to um, appropriately, um, skillfully react to what I perceive as outright lies, exaggerations, omissions, um, untruthfulness in others particularly my president. Yeah. I thought you might be going there. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I've been there for a while. So um, are we going to be talking about um, how to deal with that kind of reactivity um, and processing? Yeah, we'll work. work. Thank you for the question. I'm sure it's on many people's minds. Uh And, you know, I, I, in a way, had references to it. Again, it's the, the lying maybe is intensified with this administration tremendously, but it's, it's, it's always been there in, in different ways. Um, yeah, that, really, that would, that would be something we'll look at in the afternoon especially. And, and we'll try to get the, the fundamentals clear. And, you know, with, with time, we'll have, there'll be a lot of uh, work with dyads, and you can explore that in some of the practices we'll do. But we'll, 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 um, I think we'll work with the fundamentals, you know, and, um, yeah, um, maybe that's all I'll say now, but we, we can keep bringing it up because it's, again, it's on people's mind. It's, it's harder. So it's a hard situation because it's, uh, complex, but, uh, yeah, let's, let's just see where we go when we go there. Good. So we'll do one exercise and then we'll have our walking practice. So this will be this will be in a dyad. So first thing is move to um, so you're face to face with a partner. Either sitting on the floor or just move your chair. You can introduce yourself.
Does anyone not have a partner? Raise your hand. Does anyone not have a partner? Raise your hand. So I think there's someone who just went out. So uh, yeah, that be okay? We'll come back in a moment. I think that person's on the other side of the hall. So okay. So we'll do a very short exercise. We'll work with. We'll start to work with the guidelines. We'll give you a taste of how to work with them, uh, and we're going to have in. A lot of the practices we do, we're going to be distinguishing between paying attention to the content of a conversation and paying attention to the process of the conversation. And we're going to be, you know, and for most of us, we get, we often get just totally sucked into the content, right? So we don't pay too much attention to the process. Part of the training today will be learning how to pay attention to both at the same time. It's not easy and we'll feel awkward at times, but when you get used to it, it works pretty well. Okay? And so, uh, first thing is to the content is going to be this. And I'll ask you to reflect on this just for uh, a minute or two. The content is how might I develop further in my speech practice? This is something. So just reflect on your own. How would you answer that? Uh, how might I develop further in my speech practice? What calls out to me? What might I be more skillful in? Okay, and then um, with each partner, decide one person will go first and the other. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.